Welcome to the City Light Podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online at citylightchurch.com. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Reply All. Back at our Easter worship experience, we surveyed everyone in attendance and asked them what questions they had that they'd like for us to talk about. Well, we listened, and in this series, we're tackling the most requested topics that you wanted to hear about. Thank you for spending time with us today, and we hope you enjoy the message from the series, Reply All. I'm excited to be up here today sharing with you. If you're just joining us, just checking us out, we are starting a brand new series today, and it's called Reply All. And this, the origin of this series really happened back at our Easter worship experience a few months back. We, we do every year at Easter where we hand out a survey to everybody in attendance because that's the one day that everyone comes to church. And so we send out a survey to everybody and just kind of ask them the question of, hey, you know, what do you want to hear topics on uh, in messages? Like sometimes, you know, I can get up here and speak and do a great job, hopefully, amen. And, uh, but I always want to make sure I'm passing your who's cares test, meaning that if you're something that you're thinking about, something you'd like to hear more on, I want to make sure that we're covering those topics, those issues in life that you can feel fully equipped to do whatever God's calling you to do. And so we handed out a survey, and, and what we did over the last few months, we compiled all those answers, and we took the top five responses to that survey. And so we have a five-part message series that we're doing over the next few weeks, and I just believe it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we used to call this series, You Asked For It, but we kind of updated it and just said reply all, because kind of like an email, just reply to everybody of what's going on and what the topics are. And so I'm excited because sometimes there's questions in life that you just don't know how to ask sometimes. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Like sometimes there's questions that are awkward. Sometimes there's questions that you don't even know who to go to on. Sometimes there's questions like, I don't know, how do I bring this up? I don't really know. I don't want them to think weird of me. Uh, I, I, as a parent, sometimes your kids can ask you some really weird questions. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I was tucking my kid into bed the other night. And, you know, I always have our normal routine. I kind of jump in bed. You know, we pray over him. And I'm kind of there, you know, with him just talking about life and everything, just laughing. And, and he goes, Dad, can I ask you a, a kind of a weird question? And I was like, you know, sure, son. You can ask me uh, any question you want. You know, what do, what do you need? And he goes, well, it's kind of embarrassing. And I, goes, I just don't know how to ask you. And I'm like, well, son, you can ask me anything. And he goes, all right, um, where do babies come from? And, you know, my response to him was, I yelled to my wife, Nicole, Christian's got a question for you. you come here real quick. He's got to ask you something. And, and I was thinking, sometimes in life there are some questions out there that you just, they're kind of awkward to bring up. Maybe there's some things that you just don't know what to say or who to talk to about the questions. And so today I think that one of the top responses to the survey that we're talking about today is maybe one of those tough questions to really talk about. It's maybe a question that maybe people in general kind of struggle with, and yet we, we don't want to, like, bring it up because we don't want people to think differently of us. Maybe we don't want uh, people to th have a, a bad stigma of us. And so today, the, 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 one of the top responses to our survey was, was to the question, hey, Pastor, I want to know how to handle depression. I, I want to know how to handle depression. And I don't know if, if you've ever experienced depression before. But I, as I see and as I do some research on it, it's definitely a growing topic in, in our society today. 
Um, this was one of the top responses in, in, in the survey, but it was also, you know, as I look and did some research, it is a growing, growing thing that a lot of people have some serious questions on. And so let me, before we get into the message, though, let me just say this, that number one, I'm not an expert on this topic, okay? I'm not an expert on this topic. I am not a doctor. Uh, I, I am not a counselor. I'm a pastor, okay? So, uh, but I've done some research and really dug into this because there's a lot of people that are struggling with some issues today that are revolving around depression, and I want to make sure that, that I'm equipped, our church is equipped to handle any and every situation that you may be walking through. It was interesting because I also found in some research that, that depression medicines have gone up in the last few years by 300%. So it's definitely a growing issue in our society, and I think the church can't be silent on it. We need to talk about it and, and, and look at what God's word has to say. And so I found this in, in, in kind of a de broad definition of depression. And a depression is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. Now, anhedonia is actually an inability to feel pleasure anymore. So things that used to give you pleasure just don't give you pleasure anymore. Also, extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. And as I read that, that kind of that broad definition, I'm like, I'm, I think like all of us kind of could fall into that category at one time or another in our life. Like, like there's, there's a lot of, there's a broad spectrum right there. But as I began to dig into some research on this as well, I, it's amazing what's really going on in our society. It's a big problem right now. Depression affects approximately 17.3 million American adults or about 7.1% of the U.S. population ages 18 and older in a given year. And, and, and that was back in 2017. I saw that research. And so I know that it's grown since then. And did you know that depression is almost twice as more prevalent in women than in men? And at the same time, 1.9 million children ages 3 to 17 have been diagnosed clinically from a doctor with depression. Think about that. Kids from 3 to 17, they should be enjoying life. They should be out playing in the dirt, having fun, having really no worries. But yet, there's so many of them. 1.9 million kids are being diagnosed with depression issues every single day. I think obviously there's a, a big problem in this place or in our society today when it comes to this topic. And I'm glad that you asked for it. I'm glad that you wanted, you had this question. Some of you did. That, hey, how do we deal with this? How do we talk about it? How do I deal with it when I'm going through things? I think the first thing that we got to think about too is that, you know, it's interesting because if you were to say to somebody, hey, I've got a cold, I've got the flu, uh, there would be, nobody would think differently of you. But if you tell somebody you're struggling with depression, there's kind of a stigma with it where it's like, oh, what's going on? You know, are you have a mental illness? What's happening? And there can be some kind of like bad kind of like where just thoughts towards a person if they're struggling towards depression. And, and I think that as a church, we need to understand that, that listen, you could be struggling with something. You may be going through something. But listen, you know, being sick is not a sin, by the way. And, and, but at the same time, your, your sickness is not your identity. Okay? So if you're walking through something, you're walking through an issue in your life, that's not, doesn't have to be your identity in life. But, but I think one of the things that happens a lot of times in church world is that a lot of us, we come to church, we got our smile on. I remember back in the day, you used to wear church clothes, you know, your Sunday best. By the way, this is my Sunday best, just so you all know. But uh, uh, we wear our, like our best. Like you come to church and you'd be like, oh, how are you doing? Bless God. Praise the Lord. Everything's great, brother. How are you? You know, like, like you don't like have like act like anything is wrong at church. 
and, and you put on this face, and then if you come into this place and you're struggling with something, you think, well, all these people are perfect. All these people don't have any issues, and, and, and the truth is we all got issues. Every single one of us have, has an issue, and if you don't think you have any issues, well, that's your issue, okay? So, so we all have issues, okay? And just some of us have gotten to the hospital a little bit sooner than you. And, and God is, we're allowing God to do a work inside of us. And we're seeing God do transformation work on the inside out. We're finding freedom like we talked about in our last series from a lot of the things that we're struggling with. And so listen, if you're here today and you're like, man, you know what, I don't know if I fit in. Like I got some stuff and I don't know if they're going to like me. And I, I feel like I've got some issues and maybe I'm walking through depression. I'm walking through some things and I just don't know if I can bring it up in a church setting. I don't know if they'll judge me. I don't know what's going on. But I, I want to say this, and we got it on the slide, and that is simply, it's okay not to be okay. I want to say that to somebody in this place to hear me, that it's okay not to be Okay, like you are in a safe place today. You're in an environment that people are loving you. We're going to encourage you. Even if it's your first time, you don't know anybody here still yet. Listen, you are in a safe place and it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to put on a persona that you got everything together. You don't have to be somebody you're not. You don't have to come in here and think, I can't, I can't be the real me because if I'm the real me, they're, they're going to throw me out. They're going to outcast me. No, it's okay not to be okay. And I think that, I think the church in general, not just City Light, but, but all churches, I think that needs to be the heartbeat of churches because that's, that's the goal of the local church. We are a hospital. We are not a country club. We are here to help people. We're here to get people into a place where they can find freedom in their life, find wholeness, and get to a place where they are actually walking out the plans and the destiny that God has for them. We're not here just to put our feet up, go on a cruise and get some pina coladas. No, no, this is a hospital. That's what we want to be. We want to help people at every walk of life that they're at. It's okay not to be okay. So what do people do, though, in our society when it comes to depression? What do some people do? Not all people, but what do some people do when it comes to depression and feeling this weight and this pressure of life that can hit them and, and the sea of emotions can just... just Feel like they're drowning in it. Well, unfortunately, I think a lot of people choose to do something that's horrible, and that is to end their own life. And sometimes we don't talk about that in church enough, and we don't talk about uh, this whole idea. And, but what's interesting is that I found that one million people a year worldwide, about 40,000 people in, the, in America, the United States, which is twice the murder rate, by the way. It's the number one killer of ages 15 to 24 is when they take their own life. It's because depression has caused a, such an overwhelming feeling that, that, there, that I can't, I'm never going to get pleasure again. I, I feel like this situation is hopeless, and I think life would be better if I'm not around. I, I wrote this down. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. That, that's what it is. It truly is. It's a, it's, a, it's a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Problem. And just like I said, you know, sometimes the, the waves of our emotions can come crashing in. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it can feel like, oh my goodness, will I ever be able to experience joy again? And we can feel so much like we're drowning in our own emotions. But let me just encourage you today, if you've ever felt that way or if you're currently feeling that way right now, just like the waves come crashing in in our life, listen, just like on an ocean beach, the waves will rescind. It will go back out into the ocean and you will be able to feel joy again. You will be able to experience life again. So don't give up. Don't, don't throw in the towel. Listen, God has a plan for you. 
God has a, a, an amazing thing he wants to do in you. And hold on and let, let the emotions rescind because God's got something great for you. God's got something amazing for you. I just know that you don't have to die to end your pain. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you've ever been somebody who's thought about that, that thought, I want you to know that, that listen, I, I understand. I understand from first-hand experience. When I was 17 years old, I, I was one of those statistics where, man, I felt like emotions were, were going crazy. I felt so much depression. I felt like, man, my life was never going to get any better. I felt like I could never experience joy again. I thought maybe the easiest thing would to do was just to end my life when I was 17 years of age. And I just thank God so much that, that I had the courage to tell my mama what was going on. I thank God for some great moms in this place who just said, hey, you know what, hey, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. I love you. And she got me into counseling and talked to somebody where I could actually begin to see clearly again. I could begin to see that God has a plan for my life, see that this isn't a hopeless situation, and that God is, there's more in store for my life than what I'm currently experiencing, that the waves of my emotions will rescind and I will experience joy. And I thank God for that. I thank God because the enemy wants to take people out. He wants to take, he wanted to take me out so I couldn't get up here on a Sunday morning and encourage people uh, all over our community. Like, like, I just thank God that I didn't listen to the lies of the enemy. And I want to encourage you today, if that's you, listen, that you got to get around people. you got to talk to people. And we'll, we'll get into this in a second. But one of the things I think is so important that if you know somebody, if you yourself have ever thought about that, you need to have this phone number in your smartphone, and that is the number 1-800-273-TALK. It is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And this is a number that you can give to somebody, you can call yourself, that there are trained people on the other end of this phone that are complete strangers, they don't know your business, but they are trained to help you see clearly once again and help get you in a spot where you are actually a place where, where you're not gonna make that, that permanent decision to a temporary problem. And so what does God's word have to say about all this stuff. What does God's word have to say about depression and, and all this stuff? And I want you to know that, that God's word is not silent on the topic. It's amazing because when you look at the Bible, there are a lot of great men and women of God who went through moments of life, seasons, where they felt like it was unbearable, that they couldn't handle it anymore. One of the Old Testament prophets by the name of Jeremiah he wrote a whole book called Lamentations where he was just lamenting about all of his issues and his emotions. And he, he took a whole book and wrote it all. So I thought it was so interesting because he said this in Lamentations chapter 3. He said this. He goes, I have been deprived of peace. And maybe somebody in this room feels that today. You just don't have any peace anymore. He goes, I have forgotten what prosperity is. And I thought that was so interesting right there that he adds this line. He goes, I've forgotten what prosperity truly is. I forgot. I don't have peace because I had forgotten what prosperity was. It was interesting because I read an article last week from somebody who's kind of higher up in our government and they kind of said something that kind of made me think and they said that that the millennial generation, which millennials, I love you. If there's any millennials in this place, I love the millennial generation. I think y'all get a bad rap sometimes. I love you. Uh, but they said the millennial generation has never experienced prosperity in America. And I, I thought to myself, wow, is that, is that true? Is that really true? And I started thinking about it, and I said, well, wait a second. I'm on my MacBook Pro right now reading an article on the Internet with this magical thing called Wi-Fi. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere out there. And I'm drinking a hot cup of coffee in an air-conditioned room with electricity and lights and all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. 
No, 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 I'm blessed. Like, like God has blessed us in this, in this country and in this world. Like, like if you want to you see what, what prosperity isn't, I'll take you on a mission trip. We can go see people who get their breakfast, lunch, and dinner from garbage dumps. Like, like I can show you some stuff that are really our eye-opening experiences. Like, wow, wait a second. No, we actually are blessed. We are prosperous. God has really blessed this country. And, and sometimes we can forget what prosperity is. And because we forget with it, we lose our peace. And later, he says in verse 18, he says, so I say my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped for from the Lord, he says, everything's gone. My hope is gone. He goes, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. And right there, I think, is a big problem because Jeremiah is sitting there, and he's just thinking and meditating on all of his affliction, all of his wandering, all of his bitterness, all of his gall. I don't even know what gall is, but, man, it's just bad, I'm sure. Like he's just sitting there, like, like just sitting there thinking about all of the negative in his life. And of course, Jeremiah, you don't have peace. Of course, you don't have hope. And it's interesting because psychologists even call what Jeremiah was doing right there, they call it ruminating. It's a term that the psychologists would use when you, are, when you are actually sitting there and you're thinking and you're stewing about something. And you're thinking and you're stewing about it. And you're, you're not letting any outside voices in. You're only letting self-talk in. And you're listening to yourself. You're sitting there thinking about it. And, 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 and like you try to let it go, but then you keep thinking about it. You keep thinking about it. It's ruminating. It's kind of like the same word that, that they use when a cow chooses, uh, chews its cud. You know, it gets some grass, chews the cud, it swallows it, and then, you know, gets it back up and then chews it again. Like it's the same idea and it's like, listen, we can go through life where we're, man, can you believe what they said about me? Can you believe what they did? Can you believe I, I'm walking through this? Oh, my goodness, I can't do this. And, and then we, I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. Then the next moment, we're bringing it right back up, thinking about it. We're meditating on it, thinking about all these things. And it's like, Jeremiah, of course you're going through this. And in verse 20, he says, I, I remember them. I will remember them. And, and my soul is downcast within me. Well, of course it is, Jeremiah. Of course it is. Look what you're doing. Look at the behavior you're doing. You're allowing this to just be rampant in your life. So what in the world can we do about this? I want to kind of, kind of close the, the message with a, with a story from the Bible that I think helps us see how we can deal with our own depression. We can see with if we're walking through a season of life that we feel like we're, we've lost pleasure. We've lost joy. We've, we feel hopeless. We don't have any peace. I think it's a really great story. There's a lot of lessons in this story. I want to give you a story about the, by a man by the name of Elijah. It's found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18 and 19. But Elijah was interesting because in the New Testament it says that Elijah was a man just like us. Like he, he's a human being. He's not special. He's not like a, you know, Superman. He's, 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 he's just a person, just like you and me. But yet God used him to do some of the most amazing things on the planet ever, that ever recorded in the Bible. And in, in 1 Kings, chapter 18, we see that that Elijah was kind of like one of the, he felt like one of the last prophets in Israel where God would speak to him and he would, he would be a, a voice to the nation. And, and he, they came to a place where the people of Israel started to follow a false god named Baal. And, and they, there was a lot of people following him and Baal even had prophets. And so one day they said, hey, we're going to go up on this mountain and we're going to have a showdown. We're going we're gonna to roll up our sleeves and we're going to see whose God is the one true God. And so in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, they go up to the mountain, and, and they're like, all right, we're going to see. And, and Elijah says, all right, let's see whose God is God. And this is what we're going to do. He's like, you get a sacrifice, and you pray. I'll get a sacrifice, and I'll pray. 
And whichever God responds by sending fire from heaven, well, that's the one true God. And they said, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. We're, we're going to do this. And, and Elijah goes, all right, you guys go first. Be my guest. Go first. And so the, the prophets of Baal, about 450 of them, the Bible records, they, they get up there and they, they have their sacrifice and they start praying to Baal. They start worshiping him and nothing happens. It goes on for hours and hours. Nothing happens. And I love what Elijah says because he's kind of a stinker. And I like that because I'm kind of a stinker sometimes. And, and in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah says this about noontime. Elijah began mocking them. I probably would have done the same. He goes, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. I love that because that's something that I would probably say too to these guys. And they cried out even more. They tried to, to, to worship even harder. And yet nothing happened. And so Elijah said, all right, you jokers, my turn. And he steps up and says, all right, my turn. Let's see, let's see who's, who's God. And he says, you know, get my sacrifice, but we're going to do something different. He says, I, I want you to drench it with water. We're going to build a trench around it. We want you to fill the trench up with water. I'm going to make my sacrifice unburnable. And then he begins to pray to the Lord. And he says something basically like, God, you know, Father, I, I pray that you would show everybody here that you are the one true God. And that, that through this demonstration, that their hearts would be turned back to you. And as Elijah got done praying, fire literally came down from heaven consumed the sacrifice, consumed every bit of water, and everybody in attendance went, oh my goodness, the Lord is, the, is God. They, they, they had a, a moment right there, and they said, oh my goodness, it's, it's him. We, we, we messed up. We, we blew it. We were following the wrong guy. Oh my goodness. And they, they saw with their own eyes the power of God. And that was probably a really cool day for Elijah. When you say, like, like man, like, can you imagine, like, hey, what would you do today? Oh, I don't know, do some yard work, you know, just kind of. You know, went to the grocery store. What'd you do? I don't know. Just brought fire down from heaven. It was cool. Like, I mean, that's a cool day. Like, if you think about it. Like, but it's interesting because Elijah has this amazing moment with God. Supernatural. Like, wow. Like, you could take on anything in this time. But yet, right after his most highest moment with God, he has one of his lowest moments of his life. And I think that can be true with all of us. There's a lesson in there. Sometimes you can go to church have an amazing encounter with God, and then the, like on Monday, all of a sudden feel like every demon in the world is attacking you, like, like, like de the devil is attacking you in every single way. That happens to me a lot. Like I have a, we'll have a great Sunday service, people give their life to the Lord. Monday morning, I feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I said that wrong. I, I should have said it this way on, on the message. You know what? And it's like the devil tries to whisper in my ear. Those people really didn't give their life to, life to the Lord. You know, they're just raising their hand because they felt bad for you. And so it's like all of a sudden I, I get all of this self-talk happening. And I got to remind myself that, listen, sometimes off of the highest highs that you can have with God will come a low because the enemy wants to attack you when you think everything is great. And you have to always stay on guard. You always have to be in prayer. And that's what happened to Elijah. Because we see in the, the next chapter, the very next chapter, we see that this guy by the name of Ahab, he was the king of Israel at this time. And he had a, a queen named, named Jezebel. And he told Jezebel everything that happened and how the people that were in attendance saw this amazing miracle from heaven and how they gave their lives and turned their lives back over to God, the one true God. And she got so mad at this. And in 1 Kings chapter uh, 19, she says this. She goes, she goes, she sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me 
be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Basically, she was threatening his life. She said, Elijah, listen, you, may these gods deal with me. If you are alive at this time tomorrow, I am going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. She threatens his life. And it's interesting because right, he just defeated 450 of these false god prophets. He saw fire come down from heaven. Good day. But the next verse is so surprising to me. In verse 3, it says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He, he, he just had this amazing encounter with God. Are you kidding me right now? Fire from heaven. Like, we don't see that in this day. Like, can you imagine? Like, and Elijah just said, oh, my goodness, this, she's threatening my life. I'm out of here. And he ran for his life. He says that he ran all the way. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He said to his servant, man, I, gotta, I need to be alone right now. And then later it says this, it says that in verse 4, it says, while he, was, he, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, which is basically a tree. It says that uh, he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Elijah, are you serious right now? You just had a great moment with the Lord. You just had, God just did something that he really didn't do a lot in the Bible, and he did it for you. And are you serious right now? You, you prayed that, that you would die. Wow. And he says, I have had enough, Lord. He says, I can't, I can't take my life. And maybe there's some people in this room that you've, you've had that thought. I've had enough, God. I just, the, the overwhelming pressure of my life is just too much. I can't take my life. He says, I am no better than my ancestors. So if you're taking notes today, let me give you four things I see in this scripture that's going to go really quick that I think can help us if you ever feel like you're walking through a depressing state, if you ever feel like you know somebody that's going through depression, if, if, if you yourself are going through a season where you just feel like, man, I, I feel hopeless, I, feel, I don't feel any peace, I think this can really be a life-changing moment for you. Number one, if you're taking notes, love for you to write this down. But the first thing Elijah did is he began to believe the lie. He began to believe the lie. He believed the lie that the queen was going to kill him. He believed that lie. She, she made a threat. But at the same time, God had great plans for his life, purpose for him. There's more in store than after this uh, mountain encounter with God. That God had plans for him. But yet, in this one moment, he believed a lie from his enemy that, that she was going to kill him. And I was thinking about this. What, what lies are we believing today about ourselves? What, what lie do you believe about yourself? Is it that you're not good enough? You're not smart enough? You don't have what it takes? You're not a good enough mom, you're not a good enough business leader, you're not a good enough dad, you're not a good husband, you're not a good wife, you're not, you're not, you're not what is the lie that you're believing? I'm not, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not fun enough. Like what is the lie that you believe about yourself? Because listen, I think the first thing that can happen, that's, I think is the biggest culprit into leading into depression, is that we start to believe lies that simply are not true. We start to believe them and think them that they are true. I love what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. He says this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about such things. Like, like, like don't think about the things that are continually pulling you down. He's basically saying, stop ruminating. Stop, stop, stop thinking and meditating on all of the lies, all of the things that are, that are just weighing you down and, and are trying to, trying to derail your life. He's like, but instead, 
change your thinking. He's like, don't rehearse those, those horrible things, but like, instead, reverse them and begin to think about things that God has in store for your life. Start to think about who God has you to be. Start thinking about, okay, maybe this is what that person said about me, but listen, this is what God says about me, and I'm choosing not to believe the lie any longer about what they're saying about me or what they spoke over me when I was younger. I'm believing what God says about me and who I am in Christ right now. Like, like I'm changing the way I'm thinking. I'm going to meditate and think about these types of things. I, I'm going to be grateful for the, the blessings that I have in my life. I'm not going to sit there and, and, and th forget about prosperity. I'm not going to sit there and forget about all the blessings I have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank God for the things that I do have. God, I thank you that I got clothes on my back today. I got a car that I could get to church. I got a church to go to. We got a, a, a roof over our heads and there's electricity, there's heat. Man, I've got air in my lungs today. I, I can be thankful about something and think about those types of things. Meditate on those types of things. And, and when you begin to, to really think about and meditate on the, the good things of God, man, it changes the way you're processing everything else. You can't believe the light. Come on, somebody. Like, we can clap in church. It's okay. But I love it because he says then, he goes, listen, when you think about those such things, he goes, then the peace of God will be with you. Like some of us in this room today, you, you, we don't have peace. Peace is, a, is an afterthought. That would, peace would be nice. That would be great. But I got to go to work tomorrow. And Pastor, you don't understand. I got to get my kids to school. And I got to do this and do that. And I'm running so rampant and so hard. Like, like peace, that would be nice. That's like the cherry on top. I'm just trying to get through life. But a lot of times it starts with how we're thinking. And how we're viewing and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to meditate and think about what I do have. And, and, and thankful, and a thankful heart is so good in the whole process. So, but here's the second thing that I see that Elijah do, does in the, the, his story is that he isolates himself. And we can do that as well. We, we can get into isolation. Uh, he says to his servant, he goes, hey, stay here. Uh, I need to be alone right now. And he kind of goes off into the wilderness all by himself and and we can do that too. We can, we, we can isolate ourselves in many different ways. We can isolate ourselves on a Sunday morning. We can isolate ourselves throughout the week. We can kind of just be by ourselves and not let anybody in. And, and, and sometimes at the same time, we can be sitting right next to somebody and still be very, very, very lonely. So here's the deal. Like you cannot come to a place where you isolate yourself and begin to think. And let, let The only advice you're getting is your own advice. Let me, tell you, let me say this. If you are the only person listening to you and you're not feeling good, don't take your advice, okay? Like, like if you're not feeling good, like, do not trust your own advice. You need to surround yourself with people and help you see clearly because when you're not feeling good, when you feel down, when you feel depressed, you're the last person that you should listen to. You need people around you to help you to see clearly. I love what, I love what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. It says this in chapter 4. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I love that. It says, there are three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And that right there, that verse is why we talk about small groups so much at our church. We encourage you to get in a small group. We want you to be a part of a small group. We don't say this because, hey, we want to get higher numbers in small groups. We want more. No, no, no. Listen, we're saying this because I believe all my heart you can't go through life all on your own. You need somebody that's got your back. Why? Because you can't see back there. You need somebody there that's seeing things that you're not seeing. 
And then I love it. It says three are better than one or two because, hey, listen, a group is better than even two. When you're getting around people and they're seeing things and they're giving you their experience and their advice as well. Listen, it's, it's God's plan for our life to be surrounded in community with people that you can help you see clearly when you're not feeling your best. I think you can't be isolated, but you got to be surrounded by people. And then number three, what Elijah does is this, is that he is led by his feelings. He's, he was led by his feelings. He said, I can't take my life anymore. I can't take my life. And let me just say, I say this a lot, but let me just say this, is that you cannot trust your feelings. You can't trust your feelings. Because one day you're going to feel like this, the next day you're going to feel like that. One day you're going to feel like going here, the next day you're going to feel like going there. Like you can't trust your feelings because feelings shift, they change, they're different, they go here, they go there. Listen, when we're led by our feelings, we're never going to experience peace. We're never going to experience the freedom that we want. But we're led by feelings, it, it, it destroys the peace inside of us. And so I, I encourage people all the time, don't be led by your feelings, but be led by truth. And what is truth? Truth is God's word. Whether you believe that or not in this place today, listen. The, the, the Word of God, the Holy Bible, is truth. It's the one foundation that you can go to every single time and find peace, find wholeness, find the direction for your life that you need. It will always lead you, Jesus says, to life and life to the fullest. Like, He's not trying to derail you. He's not trying to take things away from you, to take all the fun out of life. No, no, no. He's trying to have you to get you to have the best life that you could ever possibly have. You may not understand it right now. You may not even agree with what's in there. But if you come to a place and you say, okay, God, I, I'm giving it all to you. I'm surrendering everything to you because I, I, I'm feeling so depressed. I'm feel, I don't have any peace. I'm hopeless. God, I'm, I'm giving it to you. I love what Jesus says in chapter 8. He says, listen, he goes, you, when you know the truth, it'll set you free. When you know the truth, it'll set you free. But if you don't know the truth, what are you going to be led by? We'll be led by our emotions. If we don't know God's word, we'll be led by our emotions, how we feel, how we're thinking about that day. But, we, but God's word is a filter. It's that foundation. It's that rock that you can come back to day after day after day and say, okay, where am I at? Where, where am I going? What, what does God's word say? And, and I know that the society's saying this. I know that people are saying that. But I'm going to stand on God's word because it's truth. And when you're standing on truth, you are in a solid foundation. I, I think it's funny that people say in our world, well, truth is relative today. There's, truth is different for everybody. Well, uh, truth is God's word, and it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's been proven through generation after generation to be solid, and it'll get you through this life. It'll get you through this life. So that's why it's so important to jump into God's word. Download the Bible app on your phone. Do something where you're putting truth into you, because if you're not putting truth into you, You'll just be led by your emotions. And then number four, the last thing I see what Elijah does is that he fell into the comparison trap. He fell into the comparison trap. And what I mean by that, he said, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm just no better than anybody else around here. Like all these people that have gone before me, I'm no better than them. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, that's just me. I'm no better than them. And I believe that sometimes that could happen to the best of us where we compare our lives to what other people are doing. We look at what other people are going through, what other people are doing, and think, I want that. That's what really life should be about. I want that house, I want that car, I want that vacation. And we kind of fall into that Instagram, Facebook trap 
where we look at people's life. Listen, we're only looking at their highlight reels, by the way. You are not seeing their real life. You're comparing all their highlight reels to your, like, dysfunction of life. Like, so, like, listen, nobody posts on Instagram their dirty kitchen, just so you know. They just post their, their kitchen remodel that makes you hate them, okay? So, listen, you, you can't compare your life. But when you compare, it just steals your joy. Because you think, well, that's what I need. This is what give me happiness and joy and fulfillment. I need to be doing this. I need to go here. I need to accomplish that. And when we're living that life, it leaves us so empty. And I love what Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to, to, to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I just want to encourage you today. I think a lot of times depression can come because we're trying to be somebody that we're not. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know who they are, but man, man we've been trying to keep up with them for centuries. And, and, and whatever we try to do that, whenever you're trying to please people, you're never going to be able to please the Lord. And when you're trying to please people, you'll never find peace. You'll never find fulfillment. When you begin to please the Lord and say, okay, I don't care what they're doing. What does God say? What does God want, to, want me to do with my life? When you're walking in that way, you're going to find the peace that you're looking for. The peace that passes all understanding. And then when people are going through craziness of life, you have a foundation to stand on. Because you're standing on Christ, the solid rock, which will never be shaken. Which will always be there to hold you up in every difficult moment of life. Let's stand today.